Hello again, I'm Lindsay Hooper and on today's Totally Football show, Liverpool draw a blank at home to Bayern Munich. Next up for Klopp and Co, a must-win trip to Old Trafford, so it's squeaky bum time all around there. Plus, City score three away at Schalke and will they end Chelsea's misadventures with Sarri Ball when they meet again in the League Cup final? Also in the podcast, Friday night frolics for Fulham and Cardiff. Will Harry Kane be back to end Burnley's unbeaten run and why Luis Suarez is over the hill? It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. I know what you're thinking. What do you get when you cross an Englishman, a Scotsman and a Spaniard with a black country girl in a podcast studio? And the answer is, of course, today's accent-tastic Totally Football Show. Now, I'd love to say back by popular demand, but I was actually but for two shows up front, as was Daniel Story. Good bit morning. like you, Daniel. Good morning. Uh, you're going to tell us about your wild night in Liverpool, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes. An Airbnb full of Bayern Munich fans. How many? Uh, seven rooms worth. Seven I wouldn't like to guess how many individuals. Five minute fans. We want to know more about that. Uh, Pat Nevin's also here, and I'm afraid we're going to make you relive Chelsea's latest disastrous performance from Monday night in that quarter final of the FA Cup. See, I was racking my brains there to think which one you meant. Uh, was it <laughs> Manchester City? Was it Manchester United? There's been a few bad ones recently. I don't know if any of them have been worse than Bournemouth, uh, but I've been at them also. You've I'll go there. with it. I'll go with whatever one you see. You've witnessed them all firsthand. Uh, finally, it's also Alvaro Romeo, commentator for Talksport International. So, what games have you been commentating on recently? Definitely looking forward to commentating on the Carabao Cup and uh, the Champions League. I've been watching it just an, as an spectator, and uh, I've been loving what's been happening. Even the disappointing Tuesday with the double nil-nil, but then on Wednesday there was a, a feast of goals, uh, and I'm really happy to to talk about it and to review it. Yeah. We're going to get all of your thoughts on those games. Well, we're going to start with Champions League, of course. And Wednesday, you mentioned uh, Manchester City uh, jostling with Schalke over 90 minutes. 1-0 up early on, then 2-1 down at half-time. But then they scored two second-half goals. Sane against his former club, the way he celebrated, I thought was interesting. Uh, Sterling as well, showing that he's finishing this season. Anyone who doubted his ability in front of goal, he's putting them right, isn't he, in this uh, campaign. Uh, crucially then, Three away goals for Pep's men. Atletico as well, they made their home leg against Juventus count with goals from Jimenez and Godin. So we'll come on to those in a bit. But let's start first of all with the Tuesday stalemate. So the first time in 11 years that two last 16 first leg ties ended nil-nil. It finished goalless at Anfield between Liverpool and Bayern and it was the same scoreline in Lyon as well, despite Barcelona having 25 shots in total. Uh, I think the best place to start is the Airbnb story with <laughs> Daniel Story in Liverpool. Um, let's rewind first of all to the actual match. And what was all the atmosphere like in build-up? First of all, it was interesting in the in that Klopp before the game had, had predictably dismissed any talk of priorities. Jordan Henderson used his program notes to say that there was no such thing as priorities. Liverpool were going to play the, their hardest in every single game, and yet Henderson was kind of the only player who who gave off that message during the game. Liverpool were kind of second rate. The, the, their front three is, has got problems, despite Salah being the top scorer in the Premier League. Uh, they just look a little bit dysfunctional. They either take too many touches or snatch at things. Uh, and Bayern, very similar to Paris Saint-Germain the week before, kind of got slightly written off before the game and we made the English side reasonably heavy favourites. And yet they showed why they've got that Champions League know-how. They defended impeccably. They've not been doing that all season, but uh, Mats Hummels was excellent. Thiago Alcantara is probably Europe's best passer of a ball. Um, and yeah, they, they 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 dominated the game without without actually having a shot on target, but they kept it Liverpool at arm's length. Some quarters were talking about Liverpool playing like an away team in this match. Is that how you saw it, Pat? Not really, because I don't think they could get the ball for long periods. I think I agree with Bayern. They controlled uh, possession for long parts. Uh, Liverpool tried a few times to you know close them down high up, and, and once or twice it worked. But it's very hard as the season goes on to play that high-tempo, high-press game uh, every single game. Uh, so it was very intelligent of them. I would actually put it down to one thing, the problem, just absolutely one thing. You play against Bayern and you get, or whatever, these teams at this level, uh, at the business end of this competition, you'll get a certain amount of chances, you need to take a certain amount of them, do not make certain mistakes. And there was money made a couple, two to three to four mistakes. And I don't mean the misses. I really don't mean the misses. There was one occasion, you may remember it, on the left-hand side of the ball, and there was an overlap with Robertson beyond him. 
he didn't. He either didn't see the pass or didn't play the pass he should have done. If that's Manchester City, I promise you that pass is played. And he's in and goal, and it's one and one, and Robertson probably scores. It happened twice in the game. Now, that might seem a small part. It's one moment a game. But you play against Manchester City and watching Chelsea playing against them recently, they'll just destroy you. They'll do it. And that is the difference. Just that tiny little thing. They should have won one or two nil with that. But And it was only Manny. To be Firmino will play that ball all day. Salah will play that ball all day. But it just felt like the wrong guy. He's not a bad player. But it's just a tiny little bit below as a professional footballer the others. Increasingly, I tweeted after the game, I've seen Liverpool a few times this, this year, and he increasingly feels like Liverpool's kind of bellwether player in that when he clicks and if he, he does things right, Liverpool click. Mm-hmm. And then, But when he has one of these frustrating games, and he, he has them more often than Jurgen Klopp would like, I'm sure, um, Liverpool don't click. He, 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 someone like Firmino stays very much down the middle. You know what you're getting. He gives you what you get, and that's fine. Mane seems to lurch between the two extremes, and in him doing that, Liverpool then lurch between the two extremes as well. It's incredibly it's frustrating. To take, it's to take nothing away from him. He's a good player. He's a really, really good player, but he's not as good a, a professional footballer as Salah and Firmino, because he hasn't got that 360 awareness. Like, if you are Spanish and you're Silva and you're all the players, you'll, you'll see that all the time. And that's just the one tiny little weaknesses it got. And see, when you have a weakness at this level, it gets found out. I would say that the, the main difference between Liverpool last season and this coming season is that last season they had no trouble in uh, unchaining the beast and uh, attacking uh, with no other plan in mind, whereas this season they are a bit more self-contained, and uh, if this is going to be the right strategy or not, this is going to be seen at the at the end of the season, but I remember that Liverpool started like a, a rocketing from January onwards last season, exactly when they started being reckless and attacking attacking recklessly. Whether it is Bayern Munich or not, uh, who stopped Liverpool from attacking uh, as freely as they would want to, it's something that, uh, that we will never know, but I, I believe that in Liverpool there is something... Uh, they wouldn't like or they are trying not to concede as many goals as last season and this goes a little bit against them and this Bayern Munich thing as much as they are experienced side they played with Coman, Nabri, Sule is a 23 years old defender so they also have their flows and the players that uh, they still don't have that European experience so I think Liverpool missed the chance to win the game You talk about attacking fearlessly and of course if you go back to last season the Champions League for Liverpool we saw all three of their front three on fire they do seem a bit more disjointed Going into this match, it was also talked about that one of them has to be firing for them to do well. And that's what they've been relying on in recent matches is one of Firmino, one of Salah, one of Mane will be good. But was this an occasion where all three of them weren't quite at the races? Yeah, I think so. it was also interesting that, that Klopp's plan this season has been pretty much to play Salah as centrally um, and Firmino kind of sort of off him. Uh, and that has because Salah has been given licence to, to effectively a free roll to do what he wants as long as it impacts the team in a positive sense. That was seen as a slightly more defensive move or a considered move. Against Bournemouth, he changed back to last season's plan, which was Salah on the right, Firmino in the middle, and allowing both of them to stay high at the pitch. And he carried on doing that against Bayern Munich. So I think he probably wanted the same. I think he wanted more attacking freedom. Salah played poorly by his normal average or normal average since returning to the Premier League and that didn't help but I think he probably expected a little bit more vibrancy up front uh, but just didn't get it. You have both managers here as well claiming to be happy it's like the perfect result to put a PR spin on it isn't it? (laughs) Nil nil and Liverpool are saying well they didn't score against us at Anfield and Bayern are saying well you know what we managed to stop them from scoring against us and we go in nil nil but who actually is the happier is it Klopp or Kovac? I would say that probably Jurgen Klopp uh, should be happier and uh, Muller is going to be suspended for the second leg and also Joshua Kimmich uh, who is a pivotal player in that uh, fullback position So and Virgil van Dijk is going to be back for Liverpool so I think that Liverpool has the upper hand by a fifty-one percent. I wouldn't say that is a favourite, but uh, I think that we're getting they, towards Brexit territory. Here. <laughs> they the could be. Uh, Jurgen Klopp could be a slightly, a slightly, a slightly happy with uh, with this draw. And I would like to point out as well, only just little tiny thing. If the front three doesn't work at Liverpool, why not play in Shakiri? This is something that uh, Jurgen Klopp would have done in December. He played Shakiri against Manchester United to change I, that idol. I could make a suggestion why. I think I know why. Um, the nil-nil you're talking about 
that nil is important for Liverpool because they had to go over there and make sure they hadn't given an away goal. You're talking about being slightly less negative. I think he was really quite happy with the nil-nil draw, specifically for one reason. Van Dijk wasn't playing. Mm. When they played last year with Van Dijk, without Van Dijk, they, they were losing many more goals. So he had to get out of that game and make sure that Henderson covered all the time. So why did he not play Shaqiri plus the other threes? Yeah, no, no, will do for us. And they needed a little bit more cover on that defensive area. Well, up next for Liverpool in the league, a trip to Old Trafford. <sighs> what a game that's going to be. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, first of all, though, we'll talk Schalke City. Uh, mentioned about this. Let's, first of all, Sane's free kick. Wow. But he has done this before. You'd have thought they'd have they'd have lined the wall up a bit differently, wouldn't you? The wall can't do anything. <laughs> can't do anything. <laughs> there is no wall that can do anything, but it was high enough over them. It wasn't going round it. It was an absolute, utter peach. Mm. It just now and again, you put your hands up and say, you can't stop that. There was movement in the ball, there was pace in the ball. It clips the inside of the post, does it, as it yeah. goes in? Yeah. I mean, just now and again, you just say, nah, wow, just wow. He, it's funny, because he's a very subtle player. Uh, I think that if uh, he had some sort of uh, recording machine next to him, you wouldn't hear any sound, because he seems to do the things with, with plenty of ease, uh, pretty much like levitate on the pitch. But then he can trigger this kind of shots, uh, which reminds you that he can be also a powerful force. In fact, in this season, he has scored already 12 goals, and he hasn't featured that much. At the beginning of the season, it wasn't Riyad Mahrez and Sterling playing up front, and uh, Sane have to wait on the bench plenty of games. And mm. he has already scored 12, so he's a proper properly menacing player. It really did turn the game on its head, didn't it, that goal? And it was against his former club. You saw the celebrations. And then uh, you talk about goalkeeping, but Edison picking out Sterling, who he's come under so much criticism in recent seasons. You know, when he was leaving Liverpool all the way to the first couple of seasons under Pep for, for not being clinical in front of goal. But wow, I thought that that just really spoke volumes about his his season this season. He, yeah, he... he... He isn't a, a brilliant finisher. He is a, a, an excellent finisher when he plays on instinct, I think, Raheem Sterling. It's when he sometimes gets a little bit too much time to think about it, I think. And, and sometimes, from the very nature he plays, when he plays on the left and right, he sometimes beat a couple of players and given him some time to think about the shot. When he, when he's a, As a first-time finisher, often in the six-yard box, admittedly, He's, he's lethal. Um, this was a little bit of both in that he was able to kind of wriggle past his defender, but it was still a very instinctive finish. It was a, a yes. kind of toe poke past the keeper. I think it's when he has time to think that um, he is a, he's very much a confidence player. And, and yeah, you occasionally see those doubts, but yeah, you talk about Sonny answering critics. He's done that in, in spades this season. Both teams in this match show character because you had you had City going up early on. Schalke, I was really surprised. They really did get back into the tie. And then to end up going on for, for City winning 3-2 and, and getting three away goals, you can't really see past them now, can you? No, absolutely. I can't. Um, but then I can't see past them for winning the trophy. Uh, I know Pep says it's not on. Um uh, watching that game was hilarious because I was I was in Hoffenheim earlier in the season and I'm sure you remember that and I was mental as well I was berserk as well that's just the way Manchester City play that's just the openness of that's the joy of it as well I, I absolutely love watching them play just now have a look at their goals for in the league and I know that it's mad amount of goals they've scored this season generally but look at the goals they've scored in the league in the first 74 they're miles ahead of everyone else not in England in Europe and they're doing it in the hardest division. They are magnificent. And, and also I would like to point out that there is a reverse point to that one. It's the fact that Manchester City has considered 20 Premier League goals, which is almost nothing. It's less than one per game. But in Champions League, they almost double up uh, those numbers. So Pep, that's the reason why Pep Guardiola said after the, after the game that they are still not favourites to win Champions League because they don't minimise the errors. And uh, I know that VAR played a part yesterday as well in Otamendi's penalty, which by the way, that VAR um, call was a, a, a really strange because the, the system uh, broke, uh, was down and therefore they had to rely on uh, on the on the referee at the VAR telling the ref to, to call I, a, a can, penalty from Otamendi. Can I ask you a question? I yeah. can ask a question around table which I'm really intrigued by right so the show we've all seen it yes mm -hmm. the replay I just want one word was it a penalty in your mind no was it a penalty uh, in your mind 
you're not going to give me one more, are you? <laughs> that, that, that's, look, I think that it wasn't a penalty, but yeah. at the same time, at the same time, I don't know why there is a, a double criteria for this kind of things, because there was a shot of Sane against uh, Bayern Munich that was deflected by a handball, by Sule, and was, that wasn't called. Yeah. So I think that the referees, they should have a homogenized uh, opinion uh, and a criteria about what to do uh, with the handballs. Under the rules, yeah. It has to be deliberate. Full well, stop. My answer, my answer is no, and especially with VAR. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent. So tell me why the went on TV that I was watching, they went to one individual who said it was a penalty, and it was the former referee. Yeah, and I'm thinking. I don't know a player who would say that was a penalty kick. It makes me, it makes me think that I don't know the handball rule anymore. No, the, the rule Basically. was simple. The yeah, rule was simple. Yeah. It must be deliberate. Mm. And then the caveats come on after that. And I'm thinking, are you we joking? We see too much inconsistency with this. Though, yes, I know, but we there, can there is, an, and, uh, there is another thing as well. Uh, once the VAR call is made, the referee is prone to correct his decision. And I've seen this happening in Spain a lot because he has to review it and then he feels that he has made a mistake. So normally they are prone to correct a decision that perhaps wasn't wrong at the beginning. And uh, this is something that uh, I think that is in the, in the nature of VAR. Yeah. Well, City's big week isn't over. They have the small matter of a League Cup final with Chelsea on Sunday, which we will get on to. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Atletico Madrid against Juve next. Um, Alvaro? I'm going to come to you straight away with this one. Uh, two late goals, um, a typically modest celebration by Simeone Festival. <laughs> this is what I'm going to go through. I wanted to say, our fans, we have Coglione, right? That's <laughs> Cajones, isn't it, in yes, Spanish? Yes. And it's balls. <laughs> in Scottish part. Yeah. Yes. Um, that celebration, wow. Yeah, that's a classic Simeone. He's uh, really temperamental and I think that in a way that, that was way too much but uh, no one is going to question that at Atletico Madrid because Simeone is like the messiah. Uh, they follow him religiously, the supporters, the players. Uh, there was that controversial image and also Cristiano Ronaldo's image leaving the mixed uh, zone area and uh, pointing at uh, one camera and saying Atletico has no Champions League trophies and he got five because he was very angry about having lost. It's also true that uh, they shout out at him awful things during the game. But I would say that uh, Atletico played the best game in the season. I have real doubts about Atletico because they they were out of the cup. Uh, they lost against Real Madrid a week ago um, and they haven't been able to produce uh, the same kind of performances as last season. Well, the, the goals of Jimenez and Godin were absolutely deserved for Atletico de Madrid. Uh, before that, a goal from Morata had been ruled out, which by the way, Morata has another scored VAR. another VAR. Yeah. Morata has scored two goals for Atletico Madrid. Both of them have been ruled out uh, in his a short stint at the club. And the game reminded me of those uh, really good games in the late 90s when Italian teams were playing in uh, in which every detail counted. No team was reckless. Everything defended really well. But I believe that Juventus was slightly disappointing too. Because Cristiano, Dybala and the midfielders especially weren't able to supply with any, any sort of creativity. Jimenez's goal. Did everyone spot Benucci mm. through his fingers? <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing? Well, it's, it's a funny one. In that if he hadn't have claimed the foul, I think he'd have probably had a pretty decent chance of... <laughs> Stopping the goal. I, I often think with VAR whether it changes players' mindsets, and they think, well, actually, let's maybe I can try and get they're a foul just, here. They're just learning it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The players are just learning it. They're, yeah. they're near making mistakes at the moment. There was one made the other night that came that I was at, uh, and the the player made a mistake, and the VAR made a mistake. We've, we'll go into that in a minute. <laughs> um, oddly enough, can we go back to the VAR? Um, the Maratta header that he, he had to go. VAR got that right. Mm -hmm. yes. There was the penalty kick allegedly, that Diego Costa went down. Yeah. The VAR got that right. Yeah. So in the midst of everyone going, oh, we just need this, at least we're getting a lot of them right. So let's not mm. forget that in the midst of it all. And I was delighted for Marata. He had such a stinker of a time over at Chelsea. <laughs> and he goes, and he it's his header that leads to the Jimenez goal, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's a good header, and he's, yeah. he looks really up for it as well. So a massive, massive change for them. I was really surprised by that. I, mean, I don't know about how you felt, all of you, but I was quite surprised. I thought it'd be a nil-nil 
if any result and the whole part of this conversation I was expecting a nil nil or a win nil but I two didn't nil. think they'd get two yeah. no, I didn't I mean, think they'd get two Simeone in these occasions sometimes feels like a manager who is only planning to win a game one nil basically mm-hmm. and that's his that's his sole remit even he looked I think the the huge celebration was because I think he was even he was surprised yeah. by Atletico yeah. scoring twice Ronaldo might have been uh, louder off the pitch afterwards in the mix zone but on the pitch he was kept remarkably quiet wasn't he he was yeah I mean this will have let's not underestimate how much this will hurt Ronaldo since uh, I think 2006-7 in 12 seasons he's only failed to reach Champions League semi-finals once and that was his first season at Real in in 9-10 this is a man who moved clubs because he wanted to be Juventus's Champions League difference maker he wanted it to win it with a third club to become the second player after Gento to reach six European Cup titles and the kind of first one of the modern Mm. era this was his thing and yeah that petulance in the mix zone afterwards is, is solely because he was um, yeah he was kept under wraps and this is this is kind of dream dashed for this season I mean he sort of has a point with five Champions Leagues but no one really had time to sort of retort <laughs> six games one goal one red and three defeats Cristiano yeah. this campaign yeah. and one goal exactly as you yeah. said uh, for Real Madrid he's been scoring I would say that for the last five seasons he has scored 10 or more goals in Champions League which is an astonishing astonishing uh, success mm. Just to tell you something about the second leg, the last time Atletico lost a first leg 2-0 advantage was in 1967 in Goztepe, Turkey. But it hasn't happened again, and Juventus has never come back from a 2-0 down in the first leg. So the odds are completely with Atletico, even the historical odds. It's basically, it's basically I, I mean, you can hardly pick a team, you probably can't pick a team in world football who you would less like to try and ebb away a 2-0 lead other than Juventus yeah exactly <laughs> um, so yeah I mean Simeone will be you know it's it's the easiest training session it's the preparation it's the easiest team talk of his life it's just do what exactly what made us great in the last well, you, half I, decade I think you, what you want is is you want Cristiano Ronaldo to you know he need he would just need to be his very best wouldn't he mm. it has to be him um, and he's quite capable of doing it again I was m- remember the overhead kick goal in yeah. Turan yeah. well how could you forget it he needs to do something an extra special which he's quite capable of doing I mean I'm I'm looking at it now and I think to myself he played last season Avaro will know this definitely the two players who did the least amount of running in the Champions League by the time it got to the last latter stages last season Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi right they don't run they just <laughs> run when they get the ball yeah. Yeah, that's okay if it's Barcelona and Real Madrid that's going to be harder for this one. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of Juventus, the latest edition of our Galazzo podcast is out now and Jimbo and Gab Marcotti talk about the career goals and ever-changing facial hair of Alessandro Del Piero at the Laureus Awards. I did spot that, actually. Uh, make sure you give it a listen. Uh, finally, let's talk about Leon and Barca, the other nil-nil. Uh, spoke at the top of the show about Barcelona having these 25 shots, only five on target. Is this mm. a Barcelona that we just don't recognise anymore? I, I, I think... They clearly have a Luis Suarez problem. He has uh, this incredible statistic that he he's not scored a Champions League away goal since September 2015. Um, and there was just the sense on Tuesday evening that attacks are passing him by, that he's slowing down Barcelona rather than finishing off attacks. And Valverde must be considering Messi as a central option with, with Coutinho and Dembele either side because it's just not happening at the moment. We said this last. I I said this on this show last year that Suarez was kind of over the hill, um, and he then went and scored I think fourteen in his next thirteen games. So he he probably will make me look foolish again. But well, no, it makes it two out of three because Alvaro said he's passed his best, didn't you? You yes. said that. Yes, yeah. I, did, I did. Is it three out of three, Pat? I'm going for a cheap shot. I think he game likes bait at the moment. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> Give it six months. To be honest, in he does that. This is even cheaper one, but undeliberate. There's a little bit lack of hunger. You, you know when when he played at his best, he was a street fighter, wasn't he? Mm. Oh. He was, and you can look up now and you think, is it there? It's almost a body language thing. And you never that can come back. Yes, it absolutely can come back. But he's going to have to move it yeah. quite soon. I suspect big player that he is. You know, the nearer you get to the you know, the Champions League final, if you get all the way there, you'll probably get better and better. That's why you should never strive for contentment. Yeah, mm. well, it's worth pointing out, his, if he plays at the weekend, which I'm sure he will, it'll be his 700th senior career game, which is an astonishing amount of football for for anyone, particularly at yes. the highest level. And, and given his 
as as Pat Rightly says, thank street you very, fighter. And thank you, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Some I, of us have played eight hundred. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a thing there. Uh, there has been three Copa America in a row, which is something that we have never seen before. And uh, some players like Sanchez or Luis Suarez are paying that, are paying that really badly. Um, there is a thing with Luis Suarez. Um, he is sloppy. He's not scoring many goals. And uh, I am sure that he will have a good run of form again. But Barcelona, as a club and the sporting director, should anticipate to Luis Suarez's uh, decadence. Uh, he, they have to do it this summer because he's going to turn 32. Is a player whose knee is not well. In fact, he needs some rest, but Barcelona has a squad that doesn't make any sense, in which Kevin Prince Boateng is the second striker and he will never play a high-profile game. And uh, we don't know if Luis Suarez will accept not playing for Barcelona every single game. This is something to be confirmed. And also, he's, great he's very good friends with Messi. And uh, to keep Messi happy, you need his friends around. That's the reason why Mascherano stayed one too many seasons at Barcelona. But the Luis Suarez thing has to be addressed by the sporting director and uh, probably get uh, the next new good striker as soon as possible. Because Luis Suarez is definitely fading away. Let's quickly pay some lip service as well to Leon, because otherwise I feel guilty when we don't mm. talk about the other team as well. Because, Pat, you were really impressed with them against Manchester City. Yeah. Um, oddly, beforehand, I thought, no, they have no chance. You know, not going to be impressed by them. But they keep on squeezing through. They keep on getting there. They keep on surprising. I think that's going to finish. <laughs> I, think that, I think this is the last hurrah. I mean, it just as Barcelona are a different unit when they're at home generally you know and they will have enough and it's back down to Messi isn't it when Messi decides to turn up in these sort of ones he will Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast for TV fans by TV fans dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand it's Mr Saturday Night himself <laughs> it's Sam O'Leary Jeffers, what should we be keeping an eye on? We've got cold feet returning. The trail looks very interesting. It's James Nesbitt and co. It's really worked, this comeback for ITV. You want it to be heartwarming. It's a nice Saturday night show. Ready for your Tuesday morning commute. Series linked with me, Emma Bullimore and Mark Jeffries. Pat, it's your favourite time. Actually, you're going to dread this one. We're going to talk Chelsea now. Um, you were at Stamford Bridge on Monday night. You saw the latest misdemeanours of the team, uh, this Sarri ball, which just doesn't seem to be working. Uh, this time a 2-0 defeat. Man United, you have to say, were very impressive on the night. They advanced to the quarterfinals where they will face <clears throat> the mighty Wolves at Molyneux. Uh, it was ugly on the pitch to watch at times, wasn't it? And is that how you felt watching on from the start? No, I didn't, well? actually, oddly enough. It's, it's what the media have all said about it, but it wasn't really like that. And no. I have to admit to it. 66% possession for Chelsea. Um, last parts of the game, the first half, they dominated without making like, great inroads into it. Um, Saying to have 15 minutes, Chelsea were pretty good as well. But it's about goals. It's about quality moments. And the quality moments did come from Manchester United. I thought there was a lot more nous about Manchester United. I think they were cleverer, more streetwise. Um, really liked the adaptability of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Because he's played, he's got this clever thing. The typical thing for, for British or English managers or, you know, in the Premier League is, away from home, right, whatever the system is, is one up front so everyone can get behind the ball he always goes to two up front away from home. He does it every time. He changes yeah. all his systems. But he always does this. You know, it may be a couple of times he's went 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. He, he did a diamond the other night. He would do 4-2-3-1 you know, at home sometimes. And different things, 4-3-3 three, three at home. But two up front away from home. And it confuses the life of the opposition. I don't know, used to it. So I was impressed with him. I was impressed with what he done. They deserved to win for that cleverness. Chelsea weren't absolutely dreadful. What they weren't, was adaptable and would because they won't adapt and because Sari won't adapt and they will keep on playing their Sari ball unless you have got fabulous Barcelona like five years ago players that Sari ball ain't, ain't going to work ain't going to work medium or long term so if you give them you know five more players that can do that if you get the next David Silva if you get the next you know Xavi and Esther and stick them in there it'll be, it'll be lovely mm. there's not many of them around <laughs> I've written it out today. I have written a, written a piece about Sarri, which is a kind of devil's advocate because he is he's he's clearly partly to blame. But you do wonder what Chelsea's role in all this is because Mauricio Sarri never pretended to be anything he wasn't. He always sold himself as a very dogmatic 
manager with it. Yeah, stubborn <laughs> with his philosophy that he was going to stick to, that he always said Pep Guardiola told him he should stick to. Yeah. They brought him Jorginho and gave him Kovacic as a kind of afterthought on loan. But giving him Jorginho, they've given him one cog in a system that needs maybe four or five and, mm-hmm. and expect him to play. I get why the Chelsea fans are very frustrated because they've been... They've been fed on this kind of diet of short-termism that that leads to a title. Or but, but they're better. not normally like that. No. I mean, you think about it when things went wrong with Conte, when things went wrong with Mourinho. You do look at all the managers that moved through. They don't turn, but they turned on Sarri the other night. They really yeah, they turned did. on him the other night. At half by half time, they turned on him. They hadn't well, done it. Well, in the let's sixth... talk about substitutions because this yeah. is an area yeah. that he's coming in for quite a hollering. Um, mm. There was a backlash. Zappacosta's on instead of Hudson Adoy. But let's take this further. So he's made 124 subs since he's been in charge of Chelsea. 13 times he's bought on Barkley for Kovacic. Eight times Pedro for Willian. Seven times Kovacic for Barkley. Seven times Giroud for Morata. And six times Willian for Pedro. Mm. So is this all getting a little too predictable? It is, but I, that, the flip side to that is that there aren't... A, Hudson Adoy aside, there aren't an awful lot of other options on that bench. If you're, if you're picking Willian... Pedro's on the bench and if so if you're bringing Willian off you're probably going to bring on Pedro if Kovacic is starting it's because Barkley's on the bench so if you want another option it's probably Barkley there, is, there aren't a whole lot of other options at Chelsea at the moment because there aren't the players coming through other than Hudson-Odoi that walk into the team yes it would be great to see someone like Ethan Ampadu you know, on the bench and stepping in but Sarri knows he's under huge pressure and therefore he's probably not going to rely on young players that might make a mistake and make things worse so I do feel a little bit for him I just, I just think that they're they're just not the right match. Uh, Chelsea like this idea of this new era of long-termism, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure the club's in completely the right place to do that. Anyway, it, it amuses me because Guardiola finished fourth in his first season at Manchester City. They went fifth when they got hammered at Everton four mm. 0 and everyone said, "Oh, he's going to have to change. He's going to have to change." No, some of us didn't. It's fine. Some of us did not. Um, some some people, back. yes, hammered some him afterwards. Said, some of us said, "Stick to it." Man. Yeah. But he, what happened with Guardiola is that the club had been built around him and therefore they were prepared to put X millions of pounds into it. They're prepared to buy him players. They're prepared to keep the faith. Now, Sarri hasn't got that body of work that Guardiola had and that's that's probably going to be his undoing. But I just can't, I just can't help thinking that they've, they've sold him a little bit of a putt because they've given mm. him one player and said, go and do your thing. And oh, this is quite I, hard. I must back reference, by the way, to say thank you to Christoph Tura for that. But he did all the research oh, on all those figures yeah. for the subs. Uh, I, I didn't need as much research for what I'm about to say, <laughs> which is play Conte in the right, right role. I no, mean, he can't play there and, and do a ball. Yes, mm. but but that's the stubbornness, isn't it? No, no. But, okay, well, you're, you you're, you're, you're not player trying... in the world in that position, but you're not. No, at what? In no, no. But at what? I, I, it's it's really oversimplistic that if you play him that I position, I told you it was. No, but <laughs> no, but no. It's not you. It's everyone mm. saying it. If you go and play the four-three-three, two wide midfielders beyond him, he has to control the game, right? How many players do you know who control a passing game from deep line midfield? I'll tell you what. Good luck. You mentioned any more than three or four in world football just now. Jorginho happened to be one of them. Mm. Kante's not one of them. He's fabulous at many, many things, but he won't do that. Sarri is very dogmatic. He's not going to change. Mm. The question is, does he have the right players to play like this? Correct. The answer, the answer is probably not. Mm. Will the club back him? Well, Chelsea hasn't spent so much money lately. Alvaro Morata was one of those signings, 80 million uh, euros, uh, 70 million pounds. That didn't work. But normally they don't spend a lot of money in many players, like Manchester City did, uh, buying three fullbacks, Bernardo Silva, uh, for no more than 50 million, but still expensive players. This is going to be difficult for Mauricio Sarri. Patience is needed. And what Sarri expects from his players... He hasn't got it. He hasn't got what he expects from Kanté because he was asking him to go up front and to score more goals from the wingers, from the striker, and also from the fullbacks. Apiricueta wasn't really happy playing in a three centre back defence. Now he's a right back again. Marcos Alonso is not a good left back. If anything, he's a good. Uh, uh, left midfielder in a in a five-man line. Yeah, and he had a brilliant season, but he has yeah. tailed this year. Yeah, I mean, he is not that player. He played for Sunderland, for Bolton as a left-back, and he never played really well for Fiorentina. He was all right. It, but, it, honestly, he did yeah. have some great times with Chelsea. Yeah, he did yeah but well. not playing in this position, playing no. in a different one. Yes, that, exactly. That's the thing. So I think that Sarri is dogmatic, yes, but the club has to support all this philosophy. Otherwise, it won't work. The problem's doubled down in, in so much as... 
you're absolutely right. He doesn't have the players to fit his system. But also, the problem for Ch- for him and for Chelsea supporters is that they they think that the two best players at the club, Eden Hazard and N'Golo Kante, don't actually have a natural fit in his system anyway, which makes his appointment even more baffling mm-hmm. because not only does he not have the, the players to fit his system, Chelsea's best players also don't fit his system. So they end up the club ends up worrying that they're being wasted and therefore, you know, let's face it, Eden Hazard is their big priority at the moment. If he wants to leave this summer, they're in big trouble. So it almost becomes a bigger priority keeping him happy than Sarri. His position has been questioned, but he has said he will be at Chelsea for a very long time. I mean, well, that's he would not... like to. <laughs> yeah. He would like to. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I read that twice as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, what? And I thought, well, do you know something we don't know? Uh, but he would like to, and he has to say that because he has to make sure the players believe that the you know if if, if you see any weakness in the manager, the players just turn to each other and say, right, we'll sort this out. See, in the midst of all this, like, listeners, please understand there's something here. I'm not sitting here, and I don't think any of us are sitting here, sort of, Daniel, you're not sitting here saying, this is what, you know, what's the right thing. This is what, this is a devil's advocate we're putting across here. Mm-hmm. Now, if you put me in as manager, if I was, you had to, if I had to put a system in, I would play Chelsea in a 4-2-3-1. And I'd have Canty sitting there beside Jorginho. And not, not Canty, but sitting between, and the three, then you managed to get Hazard Central, with William and, you know, Pedro either side, Hudson and if you want, and you've got a striker up front, Higuain, so you've suddenly got three players that are all wanting to get in the box, who all want to, to create for the guy. Now, that's what I would do. Now, so I'm not making an argument that, hey, I'm sorry, he's a genius and he's fantastic and I love everything he does. What we try to say is, this is what he's thinking. Yeah. And, and when he says a long time, maybe he means a long three days yeah. <laughs> no it's not three days on come on Sunday. can you agree that it's not that I, I would argue the big game is, is, is Spurs now we're going to have yeah, to well, talk let, about let's that let's argue that yeah. let's make that argument now because on Sunday at Wembley um, uh oh a City team that very recently thumped them 6-0 how much is resting on this so according to you Pat not that much if it gets beat 6-0 again then you wouldn't be surprised if it was curtains if it's close Fair enough. It's, it's, also, it's also worth pointing out that Chelsea beat Man City. Two, it feels a long time ago now, but two, and that game was as close as Sarri has got to his system because Angolo Kante scored yeah. higher up the pitch. Up pitch yeah. Eden Hazard played as a false nine, it's two assists. Uh, Chelsea looked resolute at the back. It's the first time that City had lost. Um, without scoring in the Premier League for I, I think it was still that Everton game yeah. January 2017 so that was so it, and that wasn't actually that long ago so look if City score early and Chelsea collapse then we're going to you know, yeah. a repeat is likely but I don't, I'm not as doom-mongering about Chelsea's chances I would say about that game um, for the first half of that Man City game at Chelsea in December 8th something mm. like that the first half Man City battered yeah. 11 daylights out of Chelsea without De Bruyne without a fit David Silva they, they were a shadow of a team Aguero looked as if he was half fit and, you know all that sort of thing Jesus was there you know and you just it's think Sterling missed a couple yeah. of really clear ones yes well. yeah. so it was it was an odd first half but Chelsea actually played much better in the second half and City faded they just seem to have one of those days and we noticed it because they, they lost a couple of games around that time Fernandinho was missing them. so they were at that little period it was a right time to play City yeah. this is a different time to play mm-hmm. City City are absolutely flying and they're on it just now so I wouldn't Vincent Company's been back in training now is it likely he could get some game time here and have Higuain to try and handle yeah I think he probably likes that kind of battle more than he likes the the sort of zipping nipping striker companies over the last couple of years he's done more and more his party trick which is kind of marauding out of defense to try and stop a quick attacker getting slightly late to it and getting bringing him down and getting booked I think he would prefer that Higuain battle and I think there is a sense with Guardiola that he would quite like to honor Vincent company in some way by picking him in some of these games despite City being right in the middle of um, big competitions. Yeah, I think it would be nice for him to lead them out at Wembley, so I hope he does play. And the big deal, Pat, because you made it right at the start of this, so one point for Chelsea off fourth spot and Spurs after this. So you're saying that's the much bigger match. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea, will pro- you know, it's, I, th- I think they have they could go out of the League Cup, or the, the Carabao Cup, right? They could lose that. If they lose against Spurs, I think they are struggling to get a top four and the season's beginning a little bit of a shambles. However, it can be the other way around. You could have a cup in the cabinet and you could beat Spurs, the big rivals, and things look rosy again. Remember, there's only one point between Chelsea 
Manchester United and Arsenal. So it all really comes down to that game. Now remember what happens after that. There's five games in a row that are very winnable for Chelsea after that. That's a double-edged sword. If you weren't ready, your manager, if they do, I don't know if they do, if they do, you want to give the new guy five easy games. Solskjaer, Just what's yeah, the Solskjaer yeah. step, that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, whereas if he has a good little run here, he's got five games after that, and he might actually get four. So, so if everyone thinks the rating's on the wall for Sarri, it's not. But, you know, the paint's getting mixed <laughs> in the back there. Can I ask you, here's a question for the bunch of you around the table. And anyone listening? Very, very quick one, right? Manchester City playing a cup final, not the Community Shield, cup final last time at Wembley against Chelsea. How many goals were scored in the game? I just a weird guess. How many would be scored in the game? <laughs> Seven. No, I don't think there were very many. Nine. nine. Oh, nine. <laughs> nine goals. Okay, so I was playing. I was playing in the game. <laughs> <laughs> were you? That's why I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Pat. Five four. Unbelievable. Five four. So we, I suspect. Eh, we, well, we won five four. So I, I just, just we enjoyed it. But I, I'm kind of expecting this to be. I think there'll be lots of goals again, but maybe not necessarily nine. (laughs) I don't think there'll be nine. That would surprise me more than the substitutions that Sarri will make. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, and always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty is dead. Live for rewards. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Time to turn our attention to the Premier League. Then there are eight games this weekend, including two drum roll. On Friday night. This hasn't happened before. Uh, The biggest by some distance, of course, though, over the weekend will be Man United against Liverpool on Sunday afternoon. We'll begin with that. You are going to this one, Daniel. I am, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it, obviously. Uh, It was a big, a really, really big game for Liverpool, this. I I, I actually, it's Manchester United-Liverpool. Of course, it's a big game for Manchester United. But I think what Solskjaer did by winning at Stamford Bridge on Monday, a ground where, or stadium where Manchester United have typically been pretty awful at, uh, I think he probably guaranteed himself that he'll he's will get the job next season. I don't. I think it would be very difficult now, unless unless Manchester United really fall away. I think it would be very difficult to risk ceding that goodwill that he's built up since he arrived. Um, but yeah, obviously it's huge for Liverpool. If if Klopp was going to choose to have beaten Bayern Munich and or beaten uh, Manchester United, of course he would have gone for Manchester United. And, and it, it, it takes on an added edge with City not playing in the league because. You know, if Liverpool win Old Trafford, their their hardest game remaining this season. They've got a three point lead at the top, having played the same games as City. The the pressure is immediately piled into City's corner. Um, I suspect it will be edgy, uh, really edgy. Um, it will be interesting. Pat was talking about Manchester United's formations at home. It will be interesting to see what Solskjaer does to see if he. There are Manchester United fans who would be happy to draw that game if it meant Liverpool didn't win it. Put it that way. <laughs> they, it would be interesting whether we see this kind of attacking vibrancy from United that we've come used to under Solskjaer. Because if they get picked off by a counter-attacking team and let Liverpool win, then there'll be a few frowns at Old Trafford. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a belter. I think that Manchester United shouldn't play with the handbrake on. They should go for it, definitely. And uh, this is the game in hand for Liverpool. If they lose this game, Manchester City will be top of the table. And the scenery and the landscape will be totally different. This is probably the most difficult game left for Liverpool in the league. Is the last away game they are playing against a top six club. After that, they will be playing against Spurs at home and against Chelsea at home. So if they manage to do it here, uh, I think that they will come not as the strong favourites, but definitely they will have the, the upper hand uh, the upper hand going ahead. They didn't struggle with no Lingard or no Martial against Chelsea, but is this a different prospect with City not having those two? I think that uh, Manchester United have more options than we we may think of. Uh, Romelu Lukaku has turned into a winger, sort of powerful striker, or, or, a, or a striker who can go in the wing, thanks to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, even though it was Roberto Martinez, the first one who used him there. 
and um, the likes of uh, the likes of Marcus Rashford they are in a top form as well so I, and I think that Paul Pogba is making the difference here if uh, such a strength player Paul Pogba because if you look at his uh, flows you think that uh, you may end up hating him as a player but if you check what he does well you realize that he's uh, such a such a player that produces so much and against Chelsea he was the one who scored the goal and gave one assist so I think that Pogba can be here the differential player you know what? It's going to be incredible. We're not calling this, are we? It's, it's impossible to call, right? This is such a tight game, and it could go either way. Um, but you, you were talking about Chelsea Man City playing the same day, and everyone's ignoring what might be the most important game: Arsenal. I've looked at. I've done this sad, sad thing that you do. I've guessed all the the results to the end of the season of what I think should happen. Arsenal going to get it. <laughs> They're going to get the top four position, judging by the games left. You know, so Man United here, if it is the draw that we're talking about, which is probably the most expected thing, you know, Arsenal sitting there, they've got Southampton at home. They start cruising up the league. They have got a pretty good run. They've got one or two tough games, but they're a pretty good run to the end of the season. So, you know, well, it's just a typical thing. We all go and look at the big thing and forget that there's something else happening over there. Well, there's there. a couple of distractions, isn't there? Yeah. We've got stuff going on at Wembley. Yeah. Got this yeah. going exactly. on at Old Trafford. And, the, and, the great, and we, that's what we will look at. But what, what did you make of Wenger's comments about Ozil? this week because he's actually gone on he said he's become too comfortable I think was his phrasing wasn't it he's too comfortable now that, that's one of those uh, to use a boxing analogy he's not using boxing gloves or bare fists he's actually got pillowcases on <laughs> I think you can I think you can be a lot harder than that yeah there isn't the fight and the kind of we were talking about street fighters earlier on it's not the word that comes to mind now you don't want us a little bit because there's so many other things about them but you look at them sometimes and you just sigh you do you think this modern footballer giving big contracts yeah. you've got to give it to the right one it's got to be yeah. the right attitude yeah. hasn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely Go, going back briefly to the to the United Liverpool game I think the really interesting battle and we talked about him just now is, is Pogba against Van Aldem she's probably I'd say the, the midfielder in the Premier League this season who's been at the most consistent throughout versus the midfielder who's kind of lurched between lows and highs. And Van Alden has been astonishing. This He's reinvented himself as... At Newcastle, he was a kind of advanced, uh, creative midfielder who liked to score goals at home more than away, but liked to score goals. I remember he was scoring four against Norwich. And he's become this kind of midfield destroyer next to Jordan Henderson, who just breaks up play, recycles possession, almost N'Golo Kante-like in, in, in the Is style of his football. Is he going to get the nod? I would have thought so. I, th- I think at the moment, and I'm <laughs> setting myself up for a stupid fall here, but he at the moment he feels like the one Liverpool midfielder that's first name on the team. Why not? Yeah. I, I have to. I had mentioned to you earlier on about when yeah. you asked me who gives up. He never gives the ball. Yeah. He's just he's astonishing. And it takes you a wee while to figure it out. And then you start seeing it, you start thinking... You need that guy. On yeah. Monday, we were talking player of the year and his oh. name didn't come up. And actually, a couple of people pointed that out to me. Mm. He does go under the radar mm. at Liverpool. They, they, they never the get it, do they? Those guys <laughs> never, no, they never. don't get it. It's never. a real shame. He won't get it. But... On the other hand, the Ballon d'Or was won by Luka Modric, a midfielder, and normally they never get it either. So, who knows? We've mentioned Arsenal Saints, and that is the game. Now, I'm going to have a third eye on that after Pat mentioned. I will, because I'll be there in person. I'm at that match. Um, so, the Gunners could get back into the top four there. But we, we've already discussed a bit of that. Let's move on to Spurs. Burnley versus Spurs. This is the early kickoff on Saturday. So if Spurs win and United beat Liverpool, they could cut the gap at the top to two points, which means that Spurs are surely still title contenders, are they not? Uh, they are in so much as they're relentless grinding out of results at home despite despite everything, despite the stadium, despite the injuries, despite the fatigue, despite playing pretty poorly through periods of matches. They are getting it done and that's exactly, you know, at this stage we always say from February onwards only the result is king and as long as Tottenham are winning then they are still in the title race they obviously might have Harry Kane back this weekend which is you know I don't know what that man is made of but his his ability to come back from injury and hit the ground running is astonishing I don't know what he's made of but two (laughs) weeks early he'll be a fortnight early and then he came back early if you remember after the last injury Mm. and I wonder if that did have an effect do you think something it's going to be too Some soon? people are just... I know it's... It, you try talking to a medic about this and they'll just look at you as if you're mad. Some people recover quickly. You know, it's just... It's the John way Terry I'm, did, didn't he? Yeah, I, I spent an entire career... I don't appreciate it. was back in three months. 
And what about the tolerance to pain as well? Because this is something really important. Brilliant point. Absolutely uh -huh. brilliant point. It's amazing the, the players that you thought, you, when I was playing, you're playing guys around you with the big, strong, strapping guys, mm -hmm. sometimes no tolerance to pain. Well, we're talking about, we're talking about Meza Ozil and it's it, it kind of a, a part body, part mind thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? It's it's needing, it's feeling a wellness that I can only play if I feel 100% well. I remember, I'm trying to think who Jurgen Klopp said it about. I think it was Daniel Sturridge mm -hmm. he said it yes, about. It was. And he said, um, his body can be fine, but if he doesn't feel 100%, percent ready to play then he can't play I, I used to have this conversation with a chap called Ivano Benetti yes I remember Sa Sampa, I and... To, yeah and I played with him near the end of my career and we both had the same injury once and he came back four weeks later than me producer Ben saying chicken wings asking about the chicken wings <laughs> yeah no, exactly that was uh, that happened in Grimsby when yeah. were, a plate was thrown at him uh, he was Brian a fabulous Lawson, player yeah Brian Laws yeah. but the point about it being he I said to him look I'm going to be out in that training ground three four weeks before you I'll be back in the team what's going on and he said no no why should I take a chance with my health yeah I have to, I have a career I have to take care of I need to be 100% fit to the British ears that was are you how dare you that's mad But in a way, it's a perfectly logical position to take. So, yes, we can say, you know, can't to no tolerance of pain. Some people get better quicker. Other people think, no, I will get myself right, then I'll come back. I tell you a squad of players where they seem to get knocked down and get up pretty quick. That's Burnley. Yeah. They did really well, didn't mm. they, in the reverse fixture? They they had a really tricky spell. Uh, people were talking about them for relegation and all sorts. And then Sean Dyche has turned it round, unbeaten in seven. Um, but it's not done. I mean, they're still very much in danger. Um, Chris Wood, he's got five goals in seven games. Uh, Tom Heaton, he's been brilliant. So... Mm. This isn't going to be straightforward, is it, for, for Spurs? No, it's one of those, <laughs> Bernie, one of those teams that seem able to get on both <coughs> good and bad runs. That you know, Their unbeaten run at the moment is second only to Manchester United in the Premier League, which is astonishing, really. Um, it isn't just bringing Tom Heaton back in the team for Joe Hart. That's overly simplistic. They've also brought in Dwight McNeil. As a, a, and I think that kind of young player story, yes. I think the fans really needed that. They needed to feel like they had someone to kind of emotionally investing in that team. Uh, that's definitely helped. But they do they, they, they do look more solid at the back. I think they'll be fine. I think in terms of the two teams directly below them, Newcastle and Cardiff, I think Burnley at the moment are, in terms of morale and mindset, are, are quite a long way ahead of both. Well, five more Premier League games to look at. We're going to start next with Bournemouth against Wolves. This is a Saturday three o'clock kickoff. Um, Jimenez and Cavalero have been in good form um, for, for Wolves and they actually scored in the reverse fixture uh, at Molyneux. So Bournemouth, they have been pretty horrendous, haven't they, since November? But they tend to always have a patch in a season where they just go missing. Yeah, and they also have a, a defence which is still largely based around players that are with them in the Championship and League One. I, I like this fixture. Is, it, it strikes me as kind of a, it'll be an aesthetically pleasing game. It's probably the two of our next big thing Premier League managers. I think that's fair to say. Marco Silva has slightly fallen from grace over the last couple of months. So I think Howe and, and Nuno are kind of the, the next cabs off the rank in terms of being talked about for big jobs. So um, Wolves can obviously not cement seventh place because they're only a couple of points ahead of Watford. But if they win against, you know, they start winning games away at mid-table teams they certainly look like a top six seven team which I know that's what they wanted at the start of the season but I, I'll be honest I never really saw happening I thought they'd be happy with mid-table and they look better than that and I really hope that they don't get too bored of Premier, being in Premier League and finishing seventh too she, bored yeah, yeah. too bored Alvaro <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. The owners, yeah. I, I mean it I hope they don't get too bored we're of, not bored of finishing seventh seven and seven season after season which is what is seem to happen to West Ham United and Everton because they are dropping points here and there in in a very stupid fashion. I see what you're doing you're yeah. talking you know four or five seasons on now Absolutely yeah. That was, uh, that's how long we're going to stay yeah. uh, Hopefully hopefully and I tell you what I think that uh, there are some really interesting players there Nuno uh, it's a great manager at Valencia he did a hell of a job and Raul Jiménez the first time I saw him was in the CONCACAF Cup 2013 which I commentated on and Raul Jiménez was way ahead of the rest of the players He's very clever and I yeah. think he does stand out at Wolves actually I mean they've got some great talent you look at Patricio in goal Matinho, hmm. Neves everyone talks about Neves hmm. but I think Jiménez he does shine in that team and there hmm. is a little bit of um, worry about him and his future because I think other people are I starting we, to notice uh, I might have said it on Monday's show when we were talking about Wolves in the FA Cup but 
the the whole George Mendes uh, arrangement enables people to kind of have their eyes taken off the ball by just what a job Nuno is doing at Wolves. You look at the improvement in some of those players in Ryan Bennett and Connor Cody and Matt Doherty and get, well, also getting them to play in a system they weren't used to. Absolutely, you know, the back yeah. three. That, that to have that understanding. That's not easy in the well. Championship over a course of a, a, a hard season and a longer season than Nuno will have ever managed before. Yeah, he's I done it. What I... amazes me about Bournemouth, though, I have to say, every season, and this happens, their table position, because they go on this awful run. <laughs> you look down the table, and there they are. They're not in danger. They're just six points yeah, behind they Wolves. Th- they're a funny one. They don't draw many games. They've only drawn three this season. They don't draw many games. So it, you end up making, you know, I do weekly columns about the Premier League. So you end up making lurching conclusions about Bournemouth either way, because <laughs> yeah. they win games you don't expect them to, and they lose games you don't expect them to. But at, at the end, they end up in mid table, which. Let's not forget, 10 years ago, they were at the bottom of the Football League, so it's still an astonishing effort. Saturday's late kickoff is Leicester against Palace. Uh, it's gone a little quieter for Claude Powell. Probably thank you to Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea at the moment, but he's always been talked about as being in danger for his job. Um, what do we think about this now? Because Leicester, they've taken just one point from their last 15 available. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was at their two cup defeats this season and they felt like the big issue. The problem Leicester fans and Leicester have got is that they are now almost haunted by their title victory and that everything after that is after the Lord Mayor's show. It doesn't matter what Leicester do now, it's after the Lord Mayor's show. Champions League participation the season after accepted. So with that in mind, the one thing you might as well do is have some fun. And Claude Puel is many things, and he's a very dependable manager, and he's a very reliable manager, but he is not a fun-time manager. He's not the manager you want if you want to have a little sexy football. Um, I don't think Leicester are in any danger of going down, and therefore the supporters, rightly or wrongly, think, well, hang on, let's let's try and enjoy something here. And sacrificing, picking weakened teams in both cup competitions going out, albeit to City in the League Cup, that, I think that was the writing on the wall for him. Um, I think it's a case... Uh, uh, he feels like the longest-term, short-term manager in the Premier League. Well, you've never really felt like home for him, has it? I think Roy has been astonishing for, for Palace, time and time again since he's come in. They were they were gone last year. He's and just I, eclipsed Sir Bobby Robson, hasn't he? Yeah. As the oldest manager in the Premier League. Well, you look with the other 13th position just now. They haven't got anyone who could kick the ball into the net apart from Zaha. <laughs> and the 13th, what a genius piece of work that guy is, you know put together. You know he'll, he'll not get manager here, and he probably wouldn't deserve it but do you know what for the stick that he took as England manager and there was a lot of reasons for it some of them has some of them other people's I think that's an extraordinary job he's done at past. The it's lovely for Hodgson as well, and that kind of—it's probably yeah. going to be his last job in football. That the fact that it said that, that five teams before it, exactly. <laughs> the fact that this <laughs> is home, coming to Croydon, yeah. you know, it's where good. he grew up and where his dad was as a bus driver—it's it's lovely. It really yeah, is a nice good. story. He'd so, love to get further as well in the FA Cup now that they've got Watford in the quarters. Yeah. Uh, yep. We'll move on actually because Watford are away at Cardiff mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. You've spoken about Watford and them chasing Wolves down. Oh, they've got clean sheets in them at the moment. Six in the last eight. Mm-hmm. Um, Javi Gracia really has shored them up at the back, hasn't he? Yeah, you wax lyrical about them on Monday's show. I said they were the best-run club in the Premier League and they're, they're, there's certainly nobody in the Premier League that's making more out of their resources than Watford and being smarter. And Yeah, we just kind of associate them as a, a slightly ethereal club and therefore, you know, players coming in and coming out and a, a, you know, a turnstile that keeps turning of players and managers. But that normally, stereotypically, that can make organising a defence quite hard. We assume those teams will score a few and concede a few. But actually, their defensive record is pretty excellent this season, the Premier League. They've only conceded 34, which is... You know, it's fewer than Manchester United. It's a tremendous <laughs> effort for Gracia. Javi Gracia is a very good manager. Uh, and in Spain, he proved that, especially when he coached Malaga. He was capable of uh, creating some sort of uh, defensive unease for the top clubs. And uh, I remember, especially a game against Barcelona from uh, Malaga, in which the ball didn't leave a certain corner of the pitch for 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and it was a continuous uh, throw-in on the pitch, and Malaga players managing to defend that. So he, he's a very meticulous manager. And I think that for how have... Uh, stop uh, or slow down at least the grinder uh, they have many managers who left uh, they they have many pl- players coming and going and uh, right now it seems to be a more stable club so I think that we should be giving full praise for a manager who started the Premier League with 12 points out of points and uh, after that run which was impossible to keep he has managed to keep Watford as a very solid team which is by the way in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup final with a clear possibility of having a trip to Wembley, they beat Crystal Palace. 
Do you know one of the things when I go to see Watford, particularly at home, but wherever they go, I saw them up at Goodison earlier in the season, uh, down at Watford a couple of times as well, and it always sticks by me, I think. I look at other teams and think, is everyone buying into this manager? Is everyone giving everything? And I look around and I sometimes don't see it with some players in various clubs. And then you look at Watford and you went, yeah, they're all buying in. They're all going for this. They're all working hard. He gets players to play for him, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, a, it's a much underrated skill to actually get I, that. They really buy into him, don't they? I talked to him um, in the first international break of the season. I think that Watford had uh, 12 points out of 12 in the league. And uh, Javi Gracia told me that... Uh, they took the international break very seriously to train a lot and to make some players uh, lose some weight as well. But they were having like tremendous, <laughs> tremendous... Who are you talking about up front there? Who <laughs> yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> I think Anthony Joshua's trainer's been over again. <laughs> and, no, but he, he, he takes like all the opportunities very seriously. And the international break in September was one of them in which he managed to... Um, carry out some work that he couldn't do in the pre-season. And he was so happy about that. Uh, whatever the outcome was going to be, he was so happy that he could train so much with players because in modern football, you cannot do that. So there, there are some work ethics in there from Javi Gracia that uh, shouldn't come forgotten. Well, speaking of work ethic, I have enjoyed watching Sol Bamba at Cardiff so much. Talk about a passionate display. He's one fella, isn't he, that just will get an infectious uh, outbreak amongst the team and they're all like, putting their bodies on the line. Can, can I say, you, you mentioned Saul Bamba there. Mm. I had exactly the same interest in it and I asked Neil Warnock about him. The reason why I asked him is I'd watched him most weeks up, at, he was in Scotland. Mm. So I played up in Scotland and there was one of those phrases, every pass an adventure. <laughs> he's yeah. not one of these guys you can think, well, he's going to do this, that, this is the right <laughs> thing. You have no idea what's going to happen. And I asked Neil, so what do you feel about him? What do you think about him? How come you've got so much out of him because he's limitations as a footballer? And his reaction was just to laugh. He just said, I kind of love the big lad. But <laughs> he started laughing. He goes, every time I think about him, I think, if only you knew what he was like. If only... And but he doesn't give you the right normal answer to any questions you ever ask So Bamba. But somehow he muddles his way through it and you can't help but love him. And Neil sticking by him, mm. I would never expect him to be a Premier League player. Having watched him in his time in Scotland, thought, no way is that going to ma- guy going to manage and become a bit of a cult figure. And he is, he's a cult figure now, certainly at Cardiff. So I'm, I'm delighted for him, I'm delighted for Neil, because hands up here, 100%, I'll own up to it. I thought they were stick-ons to go down. They might still get out of it. They might do. Uh, Newcastle Huddersfield is going to have a big say as well. Rafa might have bottled lightning. He might be letting it out in this <laughs> match. Almiron yeah. from the MLS, he is quick. I think Huddersfield look a bit naive, even with the CVS coming in. I think they do look naive. Naive's a dangerous thing to be in the Premier League, but particularly against Rafa. Rafa is anything but naive as a coach. He is the, he's one of the top coaches in play, around. You think about his history, you think of where he's been, what he's done. He is one of the top coaches around. And luck in Newcastle, so lucky to have him. And I think he he might be the difference with his intelligence tomorrow. We'll round it off with West Ham Fulham, uh, two Friday night matches. Is this going to become a regular occurrence? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I oh quite... no, it's my it's my film night. I hope not. <laughs> uh, I've been selfish. It's my pub Pat's night. Friday so. film night. Uh, I quite like a Friday night game it feels I always think the championship games are good on a Friday night because of that and it's, it is a shame that it takes away from championship football but yeah I like them West West Ham Fulham I, I feel like Pellegrini again just needs another little win another little kick in the right direction before the grumbles start again because mm. it, it just feels that every time West Ham take two steps forward they're determined to trip themselves up and fall three back and <laughs> I think he just needs another one of those shots in the arm and um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm fond enough. of Claudio Ranieri. I mean, who isn't? You dilly ding, dilly dong, yeah. the pizza. Mm. We all loved it. Um, but when Fulham announced when they took him on that it was a no risk appointment, I did sort of sit up bolt upright. I'm not sure about that. He's won three of the 15 games that he's been in charge. Mm. That is not happy no, reading. He, he's, he's made them. Uh, he had to make them more defensively resilient because they were they were they were record-breakingly bad at defending before. Um, but in doing so, he's obviously lost some of their attacking verve and actually hasn't really improved the defence enough. Um, and yeah, it is a slight. It is slightly sad. The fans are already turning against him because they're 
They don't like the direct football. They don't like the fact that Tom Kearney and, and Ryan Session have been moved to the fringes of the squad. Mm. They don't like the, the midfield, which they consider the strongest suit, is being kind of passed by the ball, passing over their heads constantly. And yeah, I, mm. it's, it's gone a little bit sour, which is a bit sad. Is really. this must win for them? Because they've got Chelsea, Liverpool, City all coming up. Absolutely, yes. And uh, uh, they've got a the defensive problem, which is very clear. But also, I think that they've got a the scoring problem too, because he. Everything relies on Mitrovic. Surely has been really disappointing this season. He has been disappointed in Premier League from the moment he played for Chelsea until today that we're talking about him as a full player. And Luciano Vieto is not a good scorer and he struggled to score goals at Atletico de Madrid, uh, at Valencia as well. And I, he missed an incredible chance against Manchester United in the first minute of the game in Craven Cottage. So if you rely only on one striker, Mitrovic, but you play with three... What are the other two strikers for? I mean, because they don't defend, obviously. They don't offer a lot of help to, to the midfield because we know that Surle and Vieto, they are uh, very light physically. So isn't it a mistake to play three guys like this if only one of them scores? I thought West Ham were going to be seventh. Mm. I thought they were going to be the best of the rest this season. And they're they about six points off it. But I'm kind of really disappointed because I look at the, what they've brought to, together there. They should be better than this. Uh, my only, my, my hope, and, and I, I, I absolutely agree with you, is that I think they made so many signings that they hope are going to be for the long term that maybe there is chance, if, as long as the club stick with it. Players like Declan Rice, who's young. Players like Issa Diop, who's come into the Premier League and is improving all the time. I hope that this is a kind of stepping stone season. That the next season, they really hit the ground running. Because you're absolutely right, they should be better than they have been. Well, it's that point in the show now where we're going to hand over to producer Ben, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Lindsay. Hello, listeners. And I'm sure you're just as excited as I am to say hello to Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, we are going to talk about City versus Chelsea, the League Cup final this Sunday. Lee, give us some numbers for this one. And especially, is this going to be Sarri's final hurrah? Is it too late now to save Sarri? Probably. And Man City certainly aren't going to help. They're 1-2 to to beat his Chelsea team on Sunday. And it's 175-1. to They repeat the 6-0 humiliation of Bailey two weeks ago. Chelsea thought it's worth a 9-2 to be the team spraying cheap energy drinks everywhere. Not that that would be enough to save Sarri, though. Also this weekend at the top of the Premier League, the big game is Man United hosting Liverpool. What's going to happen here? Yeah, tight betting market, which should hopefully be quite a free-flowing game of football, actually. We make Liverpool the favourites here. They're 13-10, ahead of United at 15-8. For fans of sitting on the fence, the draw is 12-5. Whatever happens, I'm certain Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will say something utterly charming post-game. A special question I'm going to ask on behalf of Lindsay. Can Wolves score three against highly unpredictable Bournemouth? Oof. Uh, well, we are backing Wolves to win this one. They're the narrow favourites, but it's very close. And clearly, that's not what you're expecting. For your three goals or more for Wolves, we offer a price of five to one, which is a chunky price. And that's ultimately because we don't think it will happen. And finally, Lee, it looks like Harry Kane will be back in at least some capacity for Tottenham's game with Burnley. What are the odds on him scoring a hat-trick? Well, this is something we do think will happen, actually. Um, Harry Kane is odds-on to play some part against Burnley. It's 2-7. to seven. And if he does play, we think he'll score. It's 9-4 to four that he scores in the game. As for the hat-trick, that's a little bit less likely. It's 80-1 to one. he scores three goals. But could you really rule it out with Harry Kane? And you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Daniel, you'll be back for your hat trick on yes. Monday alongside yes. Carl Anker. Michael Cox is back as well. Of course, returning Jimbo. Um, I'm sure James Richardson's going to come in and he'll have that mark complete skiing. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Everybody That's knows about his skiing though, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Hopefully, no limping. Um, thank you to Alvaro, Romeo and Pat Nevin as well for joining me. I've been Lindsay Hooper. Thank you very much for listening this week and uh, make sure you join us again next week. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. 
that's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.